Over the past three weeks, uh, we've been we've been reading together, and if uh, your small group in which you're a part has been reading the book of Joshua, you're aware of it's it's uh, in some way it's a uh, kind of a travel log. It's describing the events and the experiences that the people of Israel are encountering as they have completed 40 years of journeying and now a much shorter and compressed time period in which two weeks, three weeks ago, uh, second week of January, we heard the, the story of the, of the leadership transition, Moses to Joshua. Moses has died up there on Mount Hor. He is uh, buried back up there on the mountain. Then the second week, we heard the story of ordinary people, namely Rahab, the woman inside the city walls, who saw to it that the spies from Joshua's people were well protected, and she also who cut a great deal and assured the protection of her family out into the future. Last week, we heard the story of God... You need to go across the Jordan River and don't be afraid because you need to walk into the water, consecrate yourselves, obey, and then get your feet wet. Now, on this fourth uh, week, when we hear more of the story of Joshua, they got their feet wet, the, rivers, the river parted, they got across. Now they're on the west side of the river, making their way toward Jericho, and toward uh, occupying now the promised land. What happens next is quite remarkable because it doesn't have anything to do with military strategies or any planning. In fact, it seems a little odd, but let me read you the story, this part of the fifth chapter. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River before the Israelites. Until we had crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcised the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gebeath Haralot. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people who came out had already been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. Just a couple of uh, comments about this, this particular passage. There were two generations, those who had been in the wilderness for 40 years, who had left Egypt, and they had an institutional memory of what it had been like to live in Egypt. And then there were all of the children, all of the young males, born during those 40 years. Because of the disobedience of that first generation as they were leaving Egypt, God had said to them, you do not get to enter the promised land. 
because you didn't behave properly. But your children shall. But God also made it clear that there were to be no ritual circumcisions out there in the desert that would have to wait, and that's what happened in this reading. Now, if the person sitting next to you should talk to you or ask you a question, what is circumcision? And, you know, and I'm going to be responsible for creating a question that you don't want to deal with after church. So uh, the definition is right here on these slips of paper, and uh, you can pick this up. It's all from the dictionary, and uh, you can talk about that. It'll be good conversation on the way home about what all of that means. However, of all of the choices that God could have given to the people of Israel as they get ready to move, he's, this is the thing that he chose, this painful procedure for these adult males, and makes it very important that this is what needs to happen. Right after that, and the rest of Joshua 5, you can read it, points out that after everybody had recovered from this surgery with flint knives, they also did one other thing to identify who they were, and that was the fact that they celebrated Passover. So they're here in this land that's a bit hostile, and God effectively tells Joshua, take a time out. Remember who you are. Identify yourselves as people of the promise in this ritual, surgical way. And then celebrate Passover just as all of these other people have done at the time over the past 40 years from when you had indeed left Egypt. There's something very clear about this passage, and that's it's this that frequently God calls God's people to be separate, to set them aside, to set them apart, in some ways to mark them, and that was what this ritual was about, to identify them as a people separated. And it's not a gesture that God ever makes because of exclusiveness or because of privilege. In fact, if you read the story, of the people of Israel and the history of Jewish folks in the world, it's not always a very pleasant history. If you read the stories of early Christians or Christians of great faith throughout Christian history, you also will recognize that neither is that always a very pleasant story. Yet, in particular ways, God sets his people apart, identifies them, names them, and according to Genesis 12, says these words. You will be set apart and you will be blessed, but you are blessed in order that you will indeed be a blessing to other people. So what is it that sets us apart? that distinguishes us. In particular ways, all of us have that human need to be identified with other people, particular groups with whom we feel an allegiance or a connection. 
One of the ways that is becoming more and more apparent is by the use of tattoos. And there are vast numbers of them. There's one that says forgiven. I'm not sure what the middle foot is about, but a cross on the one on the right side. But there are other ways simply by what one might use as devices. iPods. We have a 19-month-old granddaughter who knows how to flip through her mother's iPhone and touch the buttons on an iPad to find the games that she wants. So there are other ways that we get identified if we know the technology. How many of you have seen fish stickers, cars, bumper stickers, doorways? That was a sign for early Christians of identifying themselves in a hostile environment, namely the Roman Empire. There's other markers. I'll bet a lot of you have a Facebook page. That's my Facebook page. That's my Facebook page, yeah. I'm sorry? You please. I'd be thrilled. So there's the Facebook community. And that's another way that people get bound in this social network to each other. Orthodox Jews have distinctive ways of setting themselves apart and being identified. The uh, locks of hair for their sideburns, black hats and beards, black coats, the tefillah, or uh, some of the other jewelry or accoutrements that are used. How about he here, we at Christ Church? I called Patty this uh, uh, on Friday and I said, what's, what's the marker here that we use? What's the identifying feature of Christ Church community? We have a logo that's on our sign, on our letterhead, but what if we all wanted badges or stickers that identified who we are? It might look something like that, and it's Community of Christ Church, and that's a cross that's in the middle. It's different ways to do that. So this whole idea of being separated, set aside, marked, identified for particular purposes is very, very biblical, deeply historical, but it's always done with purpose. As I was reading Joshua this past week, I was more and more intrigued by, uh, by the tattoos. So I went down uh, early this week and visited with Jake and Nick. Is Jake or Nick here this morning? I invited him to church. I didn't think they'd make it. but uh. So I went down and visited with Jake and Nick, and, and they, uh, they're tattoo artists at uh, Dragonfire ta Tattoo Shop on 3rd Street in Hillsboro. And we had a good conversation. I learned a lot. My questions were these. What do people tell you and I, I said, or do people tell you, what are their reasons when they come in to get a tattoo? And they told me the, the reasons. They said, first of all, the, the, what they hear the most often is that people want to mark a change in their lives, some kind of transition, changing jobs. They said changing spouses, um, changing some other things about their lives. And they want to mark that moment with something that's very, very permanent. They said also, and this was a little surprising, they said, we get a lot of customers who believe that having a tattoo will increase their and strengthen their self-esteem. 
I don't quite understand that, but that's what they reported that some of their customers tell them. They said also as a means of memory, of remembering loved ones, relationships that they cherished, uh, family members, friends, both living and those who might have died, is another expression that they frequently end up using uh, with the tattoos. They said also a good number of their customers are people who have struggled with uh, substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, gambling as well. And they've made a decision about moving forward in their lives and want to mark and to note the permanency of that decision. And they'll have something as a reminder tattooed on their bodies. So I asked Jake and Nick a little bit more about do you guys have some tattoos? Of course, that was a question they weren't waiting for, and they did. And Jake showed me this tattoo. It was on the back of his calf right here, and it was a multicolored image of Jesus, incredibly intricate. And he told me a little bit about why he had done that. He said, doesn't go to church, but he feels a connection to Jesus, and that was his way of identifying and naming and valuing that relationship. Now, we in the Christian community have different ways of identifying ourselves, and you may have particular ways of doing that. But fundamentally, what we have always declared is this. We are identified as the people of God in the washing of holy baptism. That's kind of the entryway. Now, in holy baptism, at least in the Lutheran church and in many other churches, when a baptism takes place, a child is presented, and the pastors will usually take some oil, some olive oil, and impose the sign of the cross on the child's head in oil. And then water is applied in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what happens, of course, is that when the water runs off, it doesn't mix with the oil, and you can still see the shape of the cross on the forehead having been imposed in oil. And it's a symbol of that separateness, that being separated and identified as a child of God. I'd like to ask you to think with me about three features of our life as God's people. Those three features are all begin with the letter B, believing, behaving, and belonging as ways in which we are separated and identified for God's purposes. So first of all, believing. What are the marks? What are the marks and the identifying characteristics of your believing. How do you express, how do you understand, how do you articulate, how do you describe those marks of your belief? For those of you who have traveled overseas, you know that there's, when you, uh, when you enter some countries, but I'll say just a little bit, when you come back to the U.S., if you've been overseas, if you've traveled out of the country, you come back, get off the plane, walk through the corridor, 
and you end up, first of all, through those little maze of, of uh, uh, gates and so forth, you end up at a place called passport control. Take your passport, give it to the officer, hope that he or she is friendly and accommodating, and give them the passport, they look through it. But they're interested in one thing and one thing only, and it's this. Are you who you say you are? Passport, person, some places now are using eye scanning, but are you, are you who you say you are? And if the officer, the, pass, the, the passport control person is satisfied, gives you back your passport, says have a nice day, and you, you're not done yet. You go through passport control and you have to go to the next place. That's customs. Take all your luggage, pick up your, you know the drill, pick up the suitcase, get it off the thing, and go to that place down there where the officers are standing and you have to go through to get out. And they'll ask you one question, and this is it. What do you have to declare? What do you have to declare? Now, for those of you who've done this, you know this is the moment of truth. Because you hope that everything you stashed in your suitcase in Frankfurt or in Amsterdam or wherever you were or in Bucharest, you have thought about, and when they open the suitcase and go through it, there won't be any surprises. But at that moment, Anyone who's asked that question has to say, I have this to declare, and it's usually whatever you're carrying back into the country. But there's another part to that question. How do you declare who you are as one who is a believer in Jesus? How do you declare who you are? How do you express that belief? And if you were asked that question as you walked out of church or when you walked in this morning, what do you have to declare about your belief, your faith, your values in this place and your relationship to God? Second one is this, behaving. First one was believing. The second one is behaving. What is the mark of our behavior as God's people, as individuals? And what's the identifying mark and characteristic of this community of faith, of Christ Church? How are we known by what we do? What's the behavior that is going to be identified with the people of Christ Church? I want to read you this story. It's from a, 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 a novel. It's a, a British novel. And you, I think you will... Uh, you'll get the idea of uh, what happened this day when the nanny took the little boy, Braun, to church for the first time. Because it was in England, I'm believing it was uh, an Anglican uh, Church of England with a fairly expansive and intricate liturgy. This is what happened. A little boy named Braun is going to church for the first time with his nanny. He watches with interest the liturgy of the church, and he then watches the pastor climb up into the high pulpit. And he hears the pastor tell some terrible news. The terrible news is about a brave and a kind man who got nailed to a cross, who is terribly hurt. It all happened a long time ago, but little Braun hears this story. 
that this man still feels a dreadful pain even to this day because there was something that needed to be done that the people there needed to do. And the man who got nailed to the cross still wants them to do it. So little Braun thinks that the preacher is telling the story because all the people who are there and they will do something about that. So he sits impatiently and he can hardly wait to see what the first move will be when people leave the church in writing this terrible wrong and doing something about what had happened. And he begins to cry and he isn't certain because he doesn't see anything happening. And he's surprised because nobody else seems upset by what they've heard. They don't want to fix anything. Well, the service finally concludes. The service is over. The people walk away as if, as if they had not heard any such news, as if nothing remarkable had happened. And as he leaves the church, he gets upset. He starts to cry and he starts to shake. But his nanny looks down at him and says this, Braun, don't take it to heart. Someone will think that you're different. Don't take it to heart because somebody will think that you are different. A couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned the Martin Luther King letter that he wrote from the Birmingham jail. He wrote that letter to priests, pastors, rabbis, clergy, his fellow clergy, many of whom he knew. And he didn't, he didn't complain about the situation that he was in. What he complained about, bitterly complained, was about the fact that he didn't understand why they weren't in jail with him. Because there was injustice, there was discrimination, there was segregation, there was violence and hatred. And he said, if you're not in jail with me, why aren't you here in order to stand for what you and I and everybody knows is absolutely the right thing to do? What is it that, that we're known for here at Christ Church? What kind of behaviors are we known for? Are we known for being able to distribute crinkle bags at Christmas? Are we known for being able to provide great music on Sunday mornings? Are we known for having well-attended men's retreats? Are we known once a month for the students in the student ministry who go down and offer hot chocolate to homeless people in downtown Portland? What is it that we're known for? What kind of behavior? I have some ideas about what I'd like us to be known for. We can do this. I'd like for us to be known for the most radical kind of hospitality that we could extend to other people who come in these doors. I'd like for us to be known as a group of people who get together on Sunday mornings and do things that other people are afraid to do. To take enough risks that people would know that if you come into this place, a mark of the behavior of people here is that we do things that nobody else wants to do. We do things that other people are afraid to do. And we do things that need to be done. 
I'd like for us to be known as a community of faith who when you walk in here on a Sunday morning, just know that you better bring your checkbook because it's very likely that we're going to be taking an offering, not just one, but two or three because there are needs out there and that's how we're going to address them. I'd like for us to be known as a community of faith that have a mark and a singular characteristic of being willing to take risks that some other folks can't do because we've decided that we must be like Jesus. And we know where that led Jesus. And we're willing to say, we can, we can go there up to a certain point. That marks our behaviors. In the third place, believing, behaving, belonging. After the ritual circumcision and all of the, the painfulness of that, Joshua said, well, let's get together and have something to eat. And let's celebrate Passover. Let's celebrate what happened 40 years ago in the wilderness as we were leaving Egypt. And that moment becomes the identity of these people who belong to each other. And they're bound to each other in this community that gives them purpose to take that next step, which is to move in to occupy and establish themselves in the promised land. Here at Christ Church, we have an opportunity now to invite in a new pastor who gets to belong to this community. And when we do that, we're going to be able to say, and I hope we'll be able to say, these are the marks of this community. These are the marks of our belief. These are the marks of our behavior. And these are the marks of our belonging to each other. And immediately, we'll be able to know that and to say to an incoming pastor or to anybody who walks in these doors, this is and these are the marks that set us apart. Not because we're haughty, not because we're proud, not because we're arrogant, but only because we know who we are. What do you have to declare about what marks you? And what do we, as a faith community, have to declare about what marks us as God's people in this place, at this time, where we are? Believing, behaving, belonging. It was true with Joshua the people of Israel. And remember what Jesus said on the night before he was crucified when he gathered with his people, with the disciples, and they thought that they were simply doing a ritual Passover meal. It sounded like usual Passover. They passed the bread, they passed the cup, they had the roasted lamb. But then Jesus did something unusual. He said, take and eat, take and drink. This cup is the new covenant the new covenant in my blood given and shed for you. And he gave them immediately a mark 
of who they were. We also have those marks. We simply only need to determine and to decide which ones others will be seeing. Please join with me in prayer. Gracious Lord, you've marked us in ways that identify us as your people. We sometimes hide those marks. We're not ready to reveal them, to disclose who we are. But we pray for the courage, the wisdom, the ability, the readiness, and the fearlessness to say that we're marked by what we believe, by how we behave, and where we belong. Help us express that distinctiveness, that purpose, that separation. We pray in your holy name. Amen.